Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. For the next hour, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your ideas, all your opinions, all your beliefs. Of course, as always, you'll get a heavy dose of my opinion. You have an opinion, the number to call 646 727 3070. That's 646 727 3070. You can listen to Slash began. Send messages. So on Twitter at go for again. And why are they on Twitter? At go for again. G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Make sure you give me a follow. At go for again. Great show lined up for you today, as always. And we always come with some great shows. But we're going to be joined by Ryder University assistant basketball coach uh, Marlon Gill. Going to stop on by, talk a little NBA action. He's a little perturbed with his Pacers. He is a Knicks fan, but he thought the Pacers were going to do some big things this year. At this point, they're six and six. Been very up and down throughout the course of this year. Haven't found a way to win on the road. Obviously, you got to win on the road and the National Basketball Association. You got to win some. They ain't won none. So we're going to talk to Marlon about his Pacers. Also get his thoughts on some of the other teams and all the other things going on in the NBA. The Clippers off to a good start. Are they for real? Can they keep this going? Clippers off to the good start, obviously, and and playing some big-time basketball at this point in time. So we're going to talk to them about the Clippers. Golden State, they're 9-2. and two, They're right there playing some good basketball. The Young Lakers, who are playing some big-time basketball right now and, you know, playing well, 7-5. and five. You know, a team that's surprising a lot. Luke Walton, at this point in time, doing a good job. The Jazz, good basketball. The Western Conference is going to be interesting. Very, very interesting. At this point, it's jumbled. Now that was only 11, 12 games into the season. But at the same time, that's, it's going to be interesting as always. Seems to be always interesting in the Western Conference. But we'll see. But as we go throughout the course of the show, we're going to definitely get to that big fight this weekend in Vegas. Kovalev Ward. Also talking a little Tony Romo. Felt for Tony Romo. I really did. We're going to talk about that and uh, get to a whole bunch of other stuff. As much as we can get in. What, and that's 56 minutes at this point. All right, let's, let's start with college football. Last night, Lamar Jackson, Louisville Cardinals. I mean, Lamar Jackson, obviously the Heisman favorite at this point. And, and I think if the year were to end now, Lamar Jackson would still be the Heisman Trophy winner. But I look at 
Lamar Jackson last night and Louisville last night, they lost to a good Houston football team, a Houston football team that beat Oklahoma in the beginning of the season, a Houston football team that's 6-0 at home, so a very good home football team, and a Houston team that it's, it's good. They're a good football team, 9-1 team at this point. But you look at last night, and right now Louisville's on the outside looking in number five. Obviously, the first four teams make it to the playoffs. So they're number five at this point. But I watched Louisville last night, and I kept hoping, I kept wishing, I kept praying, I kept hoping that Lamar Jackson and Louisville could turn around, make a run, come back. When it, even when it was 31 nothing going into halftime, I still thought Louisville had a great shot to win this football game. I thought they were going to come back in this game. I, I really did. But Lamar Jackson, I really wanted him to win because I really wanted to see him in the playoffs because I really wanted to see – Another game of Lamar Jackson. If As much Lamar Jackson as I can watch, it's great. I, I want to see Lamar Jackson as much as I can. And that means and me wanting to see him in the playoffs just to get another opportunity to, to see Lamar Jackson. He's special, man. This dude is special. He is fun to watch. Very fun to watch. So I look at Lamar Jackson, and obviously Louisville had some troubles last night. Houston's off defensive line, got after Lamar Jackson pretty good last night, hitting pretty good last night, you know, beat up on him last night. What, 11 sacks last night by this Houston defense? So obviously they got after him. They got after him pretty good. And I look at Lamar Jackson, he's special, he's amazing, he's fun to watch. But at this point in time, I still think he wins the Heisman. But at this point in time, obviously, Louisville's playoffs hopes are done, are over. It's it, that's it, done deal. They can't make it to the playoffs at this point. And they had a great opportunity because the reality of the situation, the top four teams are there. But Michigan and Ohio State play one another, so one of those teams are going to come out. They were going to come out, and that would have been perfect for Louisville to slide right on it. Lamar Jackson and Louisville to slide right on it. But they had a stumble last night. And those, those Thursday night football games are tough. You know, they can be tough, and you've seen a lot of upsets over the years on Thursday night football college football. I mean, you've seen it over the years. So you, you knew there was the there was the possibility that, you know, an upset could happen. You knew it could happen. And it happened last night. And so we'll see what happens. I, well, we know what's going to happen. We all know what's going to happen. At this point in time, Louisville's chances of making it to the playoffs are done. Now this gives Washington some hope. Gives Penn State some hope. And, and how about Penn State? I mean, there is a possibility that Penn State could go. I think it's a good possibility if Michigan wins. I mean, if Michigan wins. And then obviously goes and plays Ohio State and loses to Ohio State. And then Ohio State wins out. 
Penn State wins out, three-way tie. Penn State goes on to the Big Ten title game. And so I thought, and I think, and I think everybody would think that that would be crazy considering how Penn State started, considering the talk about James Franklin and job security. There was a lot of talk about James Franklin and job security. You got the sense that, that, that there was a good possibility, I believe it was the Temple game. There was talk surrounding that. If they would lose, if they would have lost that game, that James Franklin would have been fired in season. So to think that Penn State, after the way they started, losing a pit, getting beat down by Michigan, you thought after the way they started that the possibility to go to the Big Ten championship game and also the possibility to possibly even go to the playoffs, the possibility of going to the playoffs is on the table for Penn State. Now, to me, if it came down to Penn State and Ohio State, I don't care if Penn State beat Ohio State. Ohio State beat better teams, had a tougher schedule, and is a better football team. The eyes lie, but the eyes don't lie all the time. And that eye, my eyes, a lot of your eyes, know that Penn State is not better than Ohio State. Your eyes know that Ohio State is the better football team. I I think there's really no argument with that. And I think if Penn State, I mean, the way Penn State lost to Ohio State was fluky. And I think if Penn State and Ohio State played 10 times, Ohio State would probably win seven to eight of those 10 games. Ohio State is better than Penn State. There's no doubt about it. There's no arguing that. So I think if Penn State were to go to the Big Ten title game, win the Big Ten title game, and Ohio State only has one loss, and Penn State has two losses, there's no way that Penn State goes in over Ohio State. No way. We shall see. We're going to switch gears now to the NBA. And the NBA, it's exciting. I mean, I think it's a great time for the National Basketball Association. There's a lot of stars, a lot of star power. We can say it could be a foregone conclusion that Golden State's going to come out of the West, that Cleveland's going to come out of the East. But as I said before, on any given night, you can go to Oklahoma City and watch Russell Westbrook. You can go to Houston and watch James Harden. I mean, big-time numbers this guy's putting up. You can go to Portland, watch McCollum and Dame Lillard. You can go to Minnesota, see Cat, see Andrew Wiggins. You can go to Sacramento even and see DeMarcus Cousins. You can go to even New Orleans and see one of the best players in basketball and Anthony Davis. Even if you're a Sixers fan like myself, you can go to Philadelphia and see Joel Embiid, the process. And maybe at some point throughout the, during, during this year, you could see Ben Simmons. But, I mean, you can go to Port, uh, New York, see Melo, Porzingis. You know, you can go see Ante Caputo. 
Giannis out there in, in Milwaukee. I mean, there's places throughout the league where you can see some stars. So we're going to talk NBA now. We're going to bring him in now. Ryder University, assistant basketball coach, and they're off to a 2 0 start at this point. Marlon Gill. Marlon. Paul, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Doing good, man. Just uh, here in our hotel room, man. We're down in Tampa, Florida right now. I got a big game against South Florida tomorrow. So, you know, just trying to lock in it and get ready, man. So, I mean, and you guys are off to a 2 0 start at this point. I mean, are you happy thus far with the play of your team? Uh, well, well, as a coach, you can never be happy. I, I think that's the uh, the mindset that, that we have. You know, there's always room for improvement. Uh, but at the same time, you know, 2-0 and is 2-0. and We weren't 2-0 and last year at, at this point. We were 0-2. So, you know, uh, I'm satisfied, not happy yet. Uh, you know, still got a long way to go. And, you know, the thing that I like maybe about these two wins is that they've been on the road. Uh you know, nine out of our first 11 games are on the road. So, you know, if we can keep this thing going and then get some wins at home, see what happens, man. But, uh, you know, our seniors are, are playing well. Uh, two of our freshmen are playing real well right now. Uh, and, you know, we just want to try to keep this thing going, man. And tomorrow will be a good test for us against a South Florida team. For sure. So we'll see what happens tomorrow against South Florida. So let's go to the NBA now. And um, I want to start with this. You know, over last year, during the playoffs, we talked about this guy a lot in terms of him and him being overrated. And and that is DeMar DeRozan. At this point, DeMar DeRozan is leading the NBA in scoring, 33 per. I mean, he's playing some big-time basketball. Is it possible? Is it possible we were wrong about DeRozan? Right, you're going to throw me on the spot just like that, huh? We're just going <laughs> to jump into this just like that. Uh, you know, DeMar DeRozan started off the season on fire. I, I from you know, leading the NBA in, in scoring uh, at, at almost 30-plus per game. You know, the thing that I would still want to see him do better is to shoot the ball. Uh, you, you know, he's had some good shooting nights, but at this level, you've got to be a, a consistent jump shooter. You know, I know he can score, but everything's transitioning, getting to the free throw line. He's got to be able to show me that he can consistently knock down perimeter shots. And then let's not forget, you know, there's a reason why he was on that Olympic team but didn't play. I I think it has to do with him making jump shots. Uh, But, you know, not to take anything away from him, he started off the season great. Uh, And then hopefully he can keep it up. You know, I, I don't want to be that DeMar DeRozan basher, you know, that it seems like I've been the past couple months. Uh, but, you know, I, I just want to see him be a little more consistent from the perimeter before I start to give him some more praise. I will say this. I mean, you know, at this point, got that big money, and he's stepping up his game. So, I mean, kudos to DeMar DeRozan and what he's doing at this point in the season. I want to look at the Western Conference at this point, and more specifically, I want to look at the L.A. Clippers, who are off to a great, great start, 10-2 and at this point. Chris Paul's playing some big-time basketball. 
Blake is playing some big time basketball. You know, this is a team that, you know, has some depth. Obviously, the most spades acquisition is a big time acquisition. The guy can score. I mean, he can obviously contribute for your bench. Is this sustainable for the Los Angeles Clippers? And should the Golden State Warriors have a level of concern? I'm going to say uh, right now, no. If I'm the Warriors, I'm not concerned about the Clippers. You know, I think they know that, hey, we're going to have to see them in April and May. And that's always been the question with the Clippers. Can they get over that hump come April and May? You know, right now, 10-2 and two is, is good. They should be 11-1 and one if you're going off of, you know, losing to Memphis. That's probably a game that, that they should have won, but they didn't. Uh, I, I don't think any of the Clippers' concerns are for the 82-game season. Everything for them starts and ends with the playoffs. Can they get o- over the hump? And, you know, if they can do that, this would be the year. If not, you probably have to break this team up. Uh, you know, Blake's on his contract year. Chris Paul's coming up in a few. Uh, you know, Jamal Crawford's not as young as he used to be. You know, he can still get you buckets, but at the same time, you know, it's going to wear on them a little bit. So, you know, I, I don't think if, if I'm a Warriors guy, I'm not worried about anything the Clippers are doing right now. You know, we, we're we going to go get clicking come January, February, and we know that we'll be there in the playoffs for May. And uh, it's up to the Clippers to catch us. So I, I'm not worried if I'm a guy on the Warriors team right now. Uh, fair enough. I, and I actually, actually agree with you. I mean, I think the Clippers – We'll have some regular season success. And it might even be there in terms of being in the Western Conference Finals. But I think the most they can do to the Warriors is scare them. But I don't think they can beat them. So I want to ask you this. I'm just looking around, and I'm looking at Russell Westbrook, and I'm looking at his numbers, and I'm like, man, this guy at this point in the season is balling. 31 points per game. 9.5 9.5 rebounds, 9.8 assists per per game. Darn near tripled up. Is this sustainable? With Westbrook, I think it is because, you know, he's done it consistently, you know, and it's not just a one-year thing. He's been doing this the past couple years, but, you know, he's always had Kevin Durant that gets a lot of shine as well. Now he's on a bigger stage by himself. And just watching him play, man, I'm a big fan of his. One, he goes out every night, and his swag is on 100. He's stepping on the court knowing that he's the best player. He's talking his smack. But then he's backing it up to hitting game winners, putting guys in the rim, driving it to the basketball hoop, Uh, you know, getting guys – shots when they need to and then he knows when to get his buckets uh i think when they played orlando the other night when uh, ibaka hit the game winning shot uh who says he can't go back home um but there was a point in that game where he scored westbrook scored about 12 points straight and then he stopped scoring and then got eight assists straight so that tells me that hey this guy says hey i can turn up whenever I want to, I can turn down whenever I want to, and you can't do anything about it. You just have to sit back and watch. 
Now, I, I think once he gets the talent that's around him to understand the level that they have to bring every night to get wins in the NBA, I, I think he'll be fine. You know, you look at a guy like Oladipo, he's still new to this. In, in Orlando, they were always playing for the first pick in the draft. Now you're fighting for a playoff spot, and I think once he gets used to that and understands what he has to do every night to help this team get to where they need to get to, you'll, you'll see Westbrook's game jump even more. You'll see Orlando, uh, excuse me, Oklahoma City's game uh, grow even more. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Sabonis fan. Uh, he, he's impressed me so far this season, and I don't think he scratched the surface of what he can do. Uh, Steven Adams, I, I think, is on the cusp of being one of the top big men in the NBA. Uh, you know, as he gets more reps and as the season goes on. And, you know, I, I really like what OKC has done. And I, I didn't know how they were going to be this year. But obviously, you know, Russell's just put them on his back and just said, hey, let, let's ride this out. I, I can carry us. And, you know, it's something he's used to. He, he's been carrying them. You know, like I said, when Durant was out, uh, hell, if you want to go take it even further, this is a guy that's been playing with a chip on his shoulder ever since he was at UCLA, you know, playing behind Jordan Farmar uh, for Ben Howland. You know, so this this guy can do it all, and it's exciting to watch. We're talking to Ryder University assistant basketball coach, Marlon Gilder. And here's the thing. I look in Houston, at Houston. And I see James Harden, 28 points per game, 12 assists a game. And I'm thinking at one point, wow, KD, Westbrook, Harden were all playing together on the same team. You can argue that you're talking about three of the top 10 players in in the NBA at this point. I mean, that it's just crazy if you just think about the level of talent that was in OKC at one point in time. Oh, no, for sure. And, and, you know, give credit to Sam Presti for drafting those guys and and figuring that out. But, you know, the the one line I say to that, shout out to the notorious B.I.G., more money, more problems. (laughs) You got to pay all those guys. And everybody wasn't going to get the money that they deserved. You know, and how true is it that Harden would have stayed and taken less money? We'll never know. You know, all we know is what they want us to know. We don't know what those contract talks were like behind the scenes before he was traded to Houston. But, you know, you can almost say that that was legitimately your second super team behind, or excuse me, your third super team behind that Celtics team with, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Garnett, and then, you know, obviously yeah. the Heat doing what they did with uh, LeBron and, and Chris Bosh. But, you know, look at that team. And, and I think those guys got to the finals. I want to say all three of those guys were under the age of 25. Unbelievable. You know, wow. so uh, if they could have kept it together, great. But more money, more problems. <laughs> For sure. So, I look at James Harden, and he's playing the point guard position, and he's putting up big-time numbers. I mean, 28 and 12. I mean, talk about James Harden at this point of the year. To me, besides Westbrook, I would put Harden up there as 
the next guy that's been surprising. I didn't think that he could play this way. I mean, here's a guy that has led the NBA in scoring, uh, considered a guy that was a, a me-first guy, and, and now he's coming out here and proving people wrong, saying, hey, I can still get my points, but now I'm going to get other guys their points. And, uh, you know, give credit to the Houston organization for bringing in the right coach. That guy, you know, D'Antoni fits James Harden's system, uh, the way he likes to play. It's an up-and-down pace. They want to score points, get the ball in and out of uh, guys' hands, transition. These are all things that play right into James Harden's hands. So it's almost a, a match made in heaven. Now, can they defend? I don't know but I know that they can go get 100, 110 points per night if they need to. For sure. I mean, and that's the Mike D'Antoni system, and they most definitely can put up a lot of points in that particular system. I want to ask you this now. We we saw the comments. We heard the comments. Phil Jackson referring to LeBron James and his, his boys, Rich Paul, Maverick Carter, and his other boys, essentially as a posse. LeBron was highly offended by those comments. And quite frankly, I think it is offensive because it it, it gives the impression that LeBron and his boys are just like a gang and his boys are nothing but hangers on and so on and so forth. Your your thoughts on those comments? Uh, You you know what I'd say, first of all, if I'm Phil Jackson, which I'm not, not I yet. would worry about the New York. Yes, yes, correct. <laughs> I would worry about the New York Knicks before I worry about anybody else. Uh, th- that's your team. You know, focus on your guys. Last time I checked, you know, and then this is painful for me to say, the Knicks aren't good right now. And it's still to blame for that. I-, I think he takes some blame. So how about we worry about the Knicks before we worry about posses and groups and and things of that nature um now was it offensive i'm gonna say no it was the wrong word to use and i i almost go back to what phil said in his book comparing uh or back in the day when he first brought out his book and talking about lebron and having his guys around him and things of that nature but now, you know, and he called him a posse back then, if, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, that that's 12 years ago. And these guys are all grown men. And they've all had success. Now, granted, is that off of LeBron? Sure. But in this world, man, we all need a helping hand at, at some point. Uh, I didn't get to where I'm at in the coaching profession by doing things on my own. Uh, you know, you didn't have the success that you're having now without having someone help you. So it, isn't that how it's supposed to go? Uh, you know, if we can extend the branch to someone, we do that. Uh, you look at Maverick Carter uh, getting in with Nike back in the day and interning and understanding the business and then branching off and doing what he was supposed to do. Now, did it help that LeBron was one of his friends? Sure, but I don't see anything wrong with that you look at rich paul rich paul gets in uh into the caa uh agency learns the ropes starts his own business that's how this thing is is supposed to go uh 
And for Phil to say what he said, like I said, I, I just think he used the wrong words, uh, especially in, in the times that we're in now with what we have going on. You know, you just got to be real selective with what what you say. And, and it's like the saying growing up that we always used to get from, from our mothers, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. You know, and I think it was the wrong wordage, but, you know, we move on from it, especially in, in these days and times that, that we're having right now. You know, we just got to learn to just brush some things off and, and move on. You know, like I said, if I'm still, I'm more worried about the Knicks right now than I am about a posse or a crew or, or things of that nature, man. And, you know, I, I know LeBron's not too worried about it because, uh, you know, the Cavs are in first place right now. He just uh, gave up $2.5 million for, for a museum. Uh, he's done a lot for minorities in, in Ohio. I think he sent something like 1,100 students off to college that he's paying for. You know, let, let's let's look at those kind of things, you know, and, and really get all this negativity stuff out the way because it's, it's taken away from some great things that's actually going on in the world that we really don't have a chance to talk about because we just focus on the negative. For sure. And, and I, I think – at this point, I know Phil has not apologized yet, and and maybe he will at some point in time. But I don't know. I, I, no, no, knowing Phil, I'm gonna say no. He won't apologize. Maybe not. <laughs> but he should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, you know, if not apologize, just explain to what extent you, you were you were going and what you were talking about. You know, because it can be perceived as something negative. So, you know, but like I said, no one fell. That won't happen. I guess I, I guess if I looked at it from, and I remember the time Allen Iverson and, you know, the, the guys that were with him were referred to, you know, as kind of his posse. And it wasn't positive. You know what I mean? It wasn't, you didn't get anything positive when they called his crew a posse. So, I mean, I, I guess to your point, at the end of the day, it's maybe Phil's intentions weren't, you know, to offend or, or, or to be insulting to LeBron. But I guess at, at the same time, it comes down to wording. And, I mean, posse, is, I just think it's the wrong word. But you're right. I think it, at the end of the day, it does come down to wording. And hopefully Phil will come out and – whether privately, whether publicly, apologize to LeBron because I think it's the right thing to do. But we'll see, Phil. We'll do that. We're talking to Ryder, University Assistant Basketball Coach Marlon Gilder. Marlon, you, you were really chomping at the bit to talk about your Indiana Pacers. I mean, I know you're a lifelong Knicks fan, but you were high on the Indiana Pacers coming into this year. They are 6-6. Six and six. They are a team that plays well at home, 6-1. and one. Haven't won on the road at all, 0-5 at the road, on the road. What do you see with this Pacer team? I see a, a lot of inconsistencies uh, and, and really just wondering why did you get rid of Frank Vogel? I, I think Frank Vogel's a better six and six coach than Nate McMillan. And then that's not to take nothing away from Nate, but you know, this group in particular is more suited for Frank Vogel. 
it was great acquisitions that they brought in the past two years. Um, you know, but but like you said, they're zero and five on the road. Well, guess what? You play forty one games on the road, so they got to figure this out. Uh, you know, it, the losses to Orlando, you, you can't have that loss. The loss to Brooklyn, these are all teams that you're supposed to beat if you want to be mentioned with the Clevelands, with the Torontos of the East. You know, even Boston. I think on paper, this Pacer roster is a better roster than the Celtics roster. You know, and I know, you know, people say Al Horford, uh, Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, Crowder, and, and, and the rest of those guys that they have, they have good role guys that know what their role is to be successful from a talent standpoint i think you look at the pacers jeff teague to me you know got dealt a bad hand in atlanta uh you know really didn't get to finish what he started there um you know he's to me a, a top seven point guard in the nba uh you know paul george is should be a top five player in the nba overall uh, you know, big Miles Turner, I, I think he's on the cusp of being mentioned in the top four big men in the league behind, you know, my guy Dre Drummond and, and Boogie Cousins. Miles Turner by next year will be right up there. You know, the way he's played early on proves that. Uh, you, you know, you've got the Al Jefferson pickup w- was big. You know, I, I think that is young. Nobody talks about that pickup, but that was a great move because that is young can bring different things to the table. And, you know, Monte Ellis is still one of the best scorers that the NBA has. So, you know, it, it's a little baffling to have these guys at six and six at, at this point of the season. And I know it's still early, but, you know, these guys have had all of training camp, uh, preseason games and regular season to figure this thing out. Um, now, is a trade needed? I, I don't know. I, a little premature, but they, they've got to figure this thing out. You, you know, the, some of these losses are, are inexcusable. You, you know, to, to Brooklyn, like I said earlier, and then to lose to the Sixers, you know, I, and I know you're a big Sixers fan, but besides MB, that team's not good. You know, so you can't have those kind of losses if you're trying to be mentioned uh, with the top-tier teams in the Eastern Conference. The Eastern Conference isn't that good. So you've got to control what you can control and go out and win these games that you're supposed to win. Before we get out of here, we saw you mentioned Boogie Cousins, and we saw Boogie Cousins the other day with a interesting pair of boots, Mary J. Blige. <laughs> Your thoughts on – Boogie Cousins in his fashion sense. Man, that, that's just Boogie being Boogie. Um, uh, when I saw him, I, I thought he was getting ready to go on stage and perform. It, you know, it, it was quite quite interesting. But, you know, the, the one thing it, it did for me, Paul, and I didn't want to admit this, it, it let me know, man, that I, I said to myself, hey, Mark, you're old. You are now considered old. <laughs> you know, uh, the the fashion, I mean, th- think about it, man. During our time working together at ESPN when they first had the NBA dress code, 
they didn't want the white tees, the long white tees and the baggy right. clothes and the chains and the do-rag, you know. And, and I, I think that that's what I was used to. That's what we were used to. And, and now, you know, everybody wants to dress like Young Thug. And, hey, if you want to do that, that's your preference. I just can't get with it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, leave me with my white tees and, and my do-rag if I wanted to wear one again. Uh, which I don't, you know, I'm more into the tailored suits and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, like, like my mom tells me all the time, I got a little bit of money now, so I can dress a little better. Uh, <laughs> so, but, you know, I, that's just boogie being boogie, man. But, you know, this new wave, ah, I, I'm just going to leave it at that. Just, ha. Ah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely um, a little too tight for my liking you know, in general, a lot of the fashion sense. And, I mean, I guess, you know what, I guess if my body, you know, cooperated a little more, maybe, maybe I could try it. But at this point in time. There's there's no way. Your family will not allow you to wear (laughs) some Mary J. Blige boots, man. There's no way. My, My wife would kill me if she saw me come home with some Mary J. Blige boots. I would kill myself if I came home with some Mary J. Blige boots, man. So, no, nah, there's no way. <laughs> As you should. As you should. <laughs> Marlon, pleasure talking to you, man. Nothing but the best of luck. Good luck against South Florida. Let's do it again. No, nah, no problem. As always, man, I appreciate you having me on. Take care. Bye-bye. Marlon Gill. My university assistant basketball coach. I want to. We got about twenty-two minutes left. I want to get to Tony Romo. You know, we saw Tony Romo had his, and and basically within that press conference, he basically supports Dak Prescott. I mean, he almost was in tears. You, you got the sense that maybe Tony Romo was going to break down, but he obviously feels like this is a talented football team coming into this year. He thought he had a very talented football team. He thought he had a very good opportunity to have a big-time year. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And now Tony Romo, you, you saw him. He came out. He talked about how, you know, Dak Prescott and how he supports, he supports Dak Prescott and he believes in Dak Prescott, basically. But you got the sense that it's eating at him a little bit that he does not have an opportunity to play with this football team. And this would be a tremendous opportunity, a heck of an opportunity to play with this football team. I'm offensive line. This is a football team that has a big-time wideout. This is a football team that has a big-time tight end. And this is a football team that has a big-time back in Ezekiel Elliott. He's big-time, man. He is absolutely big-time. So just watching Zeke and watching that Cowboy offense, it is, it's big time, man. So if you're Tony Romo, with the opportunity to play with that offensive line, the opportunity to play with all the guys that I mentioned, you would have a level of frustration. You know, you, you would be upset on some level. But you got the sense at the end of the day that he genuinely supports Dak Prescott and will genuinely do whatever he got to do to help Dak Prescott and this Cowboy football team 
whether that's on the field if Prescott gets hurt or whether that's on the sideline, you know, mentoring, supporting, encouraging Dak Prescott. And, and I and I look at the Cowboys and I look at Ezekiel Elliott. And I know this offensive line is big time. And I know this offensive line is plowing some big time holes. But I got to say this when it comes to Ezekiel Elliott. We look at the Cowboys last year and, you know, that running game, I mean, the offensive line was still big time. The offensive line was still, you know, doing their thing. But last year, Darren McFadden, Joseph Randall, I mean, all those guys tried to replace DeMarco Murray, and it wasn't successful. It was not successful. So for – and I've heard and I've seen, you know, this Cowboy offensive line is the MVP of this team. And I – okay, fine, sure, whatever. But when Joseph Randall and, 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 and Darren McFadden were in that backfield, Cowboys didn't have a lot of success on the ground. When Ezekiel Elliott stepped on the scene, now that ground game is, is, is 100 miles and running. Now you got an MVP candidate in Ezekiel Elliott. And how about, you know, that swing pass, that big-time swing pass? He just took off and 83 yards. It was special. And then that run, it was untouched. He was untouched, but still got to hit that hole. And he's a home run hitter, and he hits that hole hard. So I look at this Cowboy football team, and I look at Tony Romo, I'd be upset too. But I think Romo, I think the Cowboys may have to entertain trading Tony Romo. Because the interesting thing is, I think there's going to be a market for him. And since there is going to be a market for him, and since you do have an opportunity to get some to get something for him, it would be in your best interest to possibly trade him. I mean, there's some teams that can eat it, use it. Browns could use it. The Jacksonville Jaguars might be in the market for a quarterback. Who knows? I mean, just looking around. The Broncos could use it. Though they have Paxton Lynch there, but how good is he going to be? We don't know. I mean, so that's a team that could use it. The Vikings might be in the market for a quarterback. The Bears, 49ers. I don't know if the 49ers are necessarily going to work, especially if Chip Kelly is the coach. But we'll see. Cardinals could be in the market. Rams could be in the market. So there's a lot of football teams. The Jets could also be in the market. There's a lot of football teams who could use a quarterback uh, like Tony Romo. They could use a quarterback that is talented, that is big time like Tony Romo, when healthy. That's been the issue, health. But if he can stay healthy and if he's healthy, he's big time. And I think the Cowboys would be 8-1. and if Tony Romo was their quarterback too. I mean, if, 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 if we took Prescott out and threw Romo in, the Cowboys, to me, would still be 8-1. and one. I mean, Prescott's played well. But I think Romo might be able to do a little more with his offense. I think he could have done more, possibly, with his offense. Now, with that being said, Ain't no way Tony Romo is getting another opportunity as the starting quarterback with the Cowboys this year or moving forward unless 
Dak Prescott gets hurt. That's the only way. As Prescott goes down and gets hurt, that's the only way, in my mind, in my opinion, that Tony Romo sees the field for the Dallas Cowboys. And that's just the reality of the situation. Prescott has impressed me and impressed me and impressed me some more. And we've, we've all looked at the Cowboys, and we've all looked at, okay, we'll see what happens against the Packers. He, he, he stepped on the scene. He played the Packers. He beat the Packers. Okay, so the question was, what happens against the Steelers? He steps on the scene, played some big-time football, made some big-time throws, like that big throw to to, uh, Dez, and he got the victory. The stage just doesn't seem too big for Dak Prescott, Dakota Prescott. The stage just doesn't seem too big for Ezekiel Elliott. So I look at this team, and and I just see a team at this point, the Dallas Cowboys, who are big time. They're big time. But I'll say this. They have the best record in the NFC, are they? But are they truly better than the Seattle Seahawks? I don't know. I I can't say that if they are. I can't say that at all. I mean, Seattle, you go, you're the Seattle Seahawks. You go into New England. A team that's been playing some big-time football since Tom Brady's come back. A team that's been undefeated since Tom Brady come back, came back. And you go there in New England, and you beat the Patriots. So while the Cowboys might have the best record in the NFC, there's a team in Seattle who could be the best team from top to bottom in the NFC and maybe in football. And there's a good possibility. Now, I had coming into the year the Seahawks and the Bengals going to the Super Bowl. That Bengals pick looks is looking worse and worse and worse every day. But I will say this, the AFC North, a division I thought was going to be the best division in football, is a division now that, you know, the Ravens, meh, the Steelers, meh, and obviously the Bengals, But, I mean, if you look at that division, even with the Bengals being a game and a half out, being three and five, they're still in shouting distance of the Ravens, and they still have a good opportunity to win the division. They got the Ravens twice. They still got the Steelers. So if they can turn their season around, if they can get, get some things right, fix some things, that defense, which was formidable last year, is not so formidable this year. That defense got to get back to playing the type of Bengals defense that has helped this team get to the playoffs these past few years. Now, this was a team in Cincinnati that, in my opinion, if they had health, could have easily gotten to the Super Bowl last year, or at least to the AFC title game. If health was on their side, and that means Andy Dalton being healthy. So, 
It didn't happen. But I just look at the Bengals, and we'll see if they can get this thing right. It's there for them to get it right, but you wonder if they would. The Minnesota Vikings, a team that you're thinking, what's going on with the Minnesota Vikings? 5-0 start. You know, Sam Bradford comes out there, has a big-time performance against the Green Bay Packers earlier in the season. And you're like, okay, what a great move by the uh, Vikings. They may have found their quarterback, not only for this year, but their quarterback moving forward. But now the Vikings have come back to the pack. 1-5, now they've lost four in a row, not playing some very good football. Offensively, it's not very good. They're not protecting Sam Bradford, and Sam Bradford hasn't been all that great since the start of the year. The defense, which came, which you know, you came into the year thinking it was going to be big time. They're still good, but are they as big time as you thought they would be? Again, they're still good, but are they as big time as you thought they would be? Probably not. But I mean, this is a defense that's still still good. Still good defense, but probably not what you thought they would be. And at the same time, how much help are they getting on the offensive side of the ball? How much help are they getting on the offensive side of the ball? I mean, and and I say, you know, they're not playing big time, and then I look at the numbers. I look at the numbers, and the numbers tell me otherwise. The numbers tell me that this team is only giving up 16.9 points per game, only giving up 17 points per game. That's the most important stat when it comes to defense. So it's it, – it's, I, I guess I kind of spoke out of turn and blaming the defense and saying the defense isn't as formidable. It's still decent, still solid, it's still big time. But you're not getting the help from the offensive side of the ball. So while your team is only giving up, 16.9 points per game. Offensively, you're only mustering up 19.4. So you're only putting up 19 points per game. And that is near the bottom. That's near the bottom. That's 26 out of 32. So if you look at the Minnesota Vikings, 26 in points per game, but number one in terms of points allowed. So defensively, you're getting it done. Offensively, you're not. Your quarterback, Sam Bradford, got off to a good start. And again, you thought you might have found the guy that you could ride. Not only this year, but beyond. I look at the numbers, 11 touchdowns, only two interceptions, five fumbles, but they're just not getting it done. They're not getting it done at all. And, and, you know, offensive line is not really helping it out, but they're not getting it done. And that's one of the reasons 5-0 became 5-4. In the NFC North, a division that we said coming into this year, We'll come down to the Vikings. We'll come down to the Packers. It's probably not going to 
I mean, now you got through the Lions into that mix. And, and the Packers are, are are slowly, slowly going away. I mean, uh, a 40, 40 spot against the Titans, you can't give up 40-plus points and expect to win in the National Football League. I don't care who your quarterback is. But that team is struggling. Minnesota is struggling. Packers on a three-game losing streak. Minnesota on a four-game losing streak. And now you got the Lions who have crept to the front of the NFC North at this point in time. We'll see where that goes. We'll see what that looks like. We'll, we'll see what happens. But Minnesota, they got to get something better at their offense. They miss AP. They miss what he brings to the table. He's a big time back. Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, according to a report out there, Aaron Rodgers has not spoken to his family in two years. Two years. It's December of 2014. And according to that report, his immediate family does not even have his cell phone number. And you look at Aaron Rodgers, they're saying he didn't even attend his grandfather's funeral. That was a grandfather he was very close to, a a guy that he called after every game. It's crazy. The the family is told they're no longer allowed or or invited to Green Bay. And one of his former teammates, Jermichael Finley, had some interesting comments. He said, quote, in my opinion, he's a different guy. I didn't really know how he showed his leadership. He wasn't a vocal guy. He wasn't a hands-on guy. To tell you the truth, it wasn't all about his game and his stats, in my opinion. He was a guy that kept it all in. He kept grudges close to his chest. If you did something, he never really let it go. He always kept it close to his heart. I just don't think he was a natural-born leader. He wasn't put on earth to lead. Those interesting comments. Very interesting comments. But it's interesting. It most definitely is very interesting. I mean, Aaron Rodgers seemingly hasn't been Aaron Rodgers the past two years, and you could talk about last year, you know, injuries may have been part of that, but this year, you know, they've been banged up on, you know, in the running back position and the wide receiver position at points in time of this year. But, I mean, Aaron Rodgers just doesn't look like that guy, that dude, the best quarterback in football. He doesn't look like that over the past couple of seasons. He hasn't spoken to his family in the last two seasons. Could be a coincidence. I don't know. Coincidence, maybe, who knows? Or is it a byproduct of, you know, Aaron Rodgers, a football player, but is it also the byproduct of Aaron Rodgers having a level of per- some personal problems? You know, you know, not speaking to his family, maybe it's having uh, uh, causing him some issues, some problems. I don't know. But anyway, got a few more minutes left. LeBron James and Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson referring to LeBron James as boys, Maverick Carter, Rich Paul and those guys, LeBron's posse. And and so LeBron has taken umbrage with those comments and, you know, he took offense to those comments and he, he felt like those comments were wrong. He felt like those comments were um, not fair. And he thought those comments were offensive. 
And I agree with those comments being LeBron. I think they are offensive. Because you think of posse, you think of dudes, you think of guys hanging on. You think of dudes who just hanging out with LeBron, partying, bring nothing to the table. You know, dudes who just hang out and do nothing. I mean, that's a, a posse is not positive. I remember Allen Iverson and, you know, people referring to his guys as a posse. And I don't think the people look at Allen Iverson's boys as positive individuals, positive role models, positive guys. And I think when you say posse, you you make an inference, you you draw a conclusion that those boys are like hangers on and, you know, just partying with LeBron and not bringing anything to the table. I think, you know, we look at that. Obviously, it's wrong. Obviously, Maverick Carter is doing some big things for LeBron. Obviously, Rich Paul is doing some things. You know, the agent for Ben Simmons, a guy who's doing some big things out there. And, you know, he's doing it. And like Marlon Guild said, I mean, obviously, well, I'll say this. I don't know if they would be in this position if they didn't have LeBron James' influence. But everybody, Yachty, and that's a song, needs somebody. And, you know, Rich Paul, Maverick Carter, and those boys, they got LeBron to get them through. Real quick before we get out of here. Uh, AL MVP Mike Trout, controversial pick from the standpoint Angels were bad this this year. Obviously, the Red Sox were big time this year. And one of the reasons the Red Sox were big time was Mookie Betts, 31 home runs, 113 RBI, you know, some big time numbers, 318 batting average. And if you compare it to Mike Trout, the average is better. The home runs is better. Home runs, RBI, average is better. Mike Trout does have a better war, but it ain't by much. And so I know the MVP, in my opinion, is not, to me, is the best player in that particular year. For some, it's the best player on the best team. You know, for others, it's that that team wouldn't be as good. So it, it's for for everybody, it's something different. And, and so you can come up with something different for everybody. Do I think Mookie Betts probably should have won it over Trout? Probably, yes. And probably so. The numbers are better. The team is better. And Mookie Betts played in more meaningful baseball games than Mike Trout. But, again, you could talk to 10 different people and you might get 10 different definitions of what an MVP is, reality of the situation. I want to thank Marlon Gill for stopping by. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash begant, or you can listen to this show and other great shows at go for Gant. So follow us on Twitter at go for Gant. Hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com. Slash go for can't hit us up on YouTube, youtube.com slash go for can G O F O R I T G A N T for everybody here at go for it. We hope you have a great weekend. See you later.